You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Thursday mornings, or you can check us out in audio format wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Good morning and welcome to Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch, and we're on our last lesson today for the little letters as we celebrate these uh, teeny tiny little letters that we find in our Bible that are so often overlooked. We see that there's actually really good uh, things to talk about in them. Today we have the book of Jude. It will be our final uh, book in the study. And uh, so if you have your Bible, it's pretty easy to find. You just open up basically to the back. It's the second to last book in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And today we're going to dive into that little letter uh, of Jude uh, to the people uh, of the church. And so uh, we're glad to have you join us today. as we, uh, we get ready to enter into this time together, let's do so and invite the Holy Spirit to guide us today through prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence among us and for your guidance today. Please send your Holy Spirit into our midst as we listen, as we talk, as we engage in this topic and then your word, that he would enlighten our hearts, that he would uh, give us a clear direction for what your word commands and where it directs. I thank you for all those who are gathering uh, today with us or a little later down the road as they're walking or doing dishes or cooking or whatever it is that they're doing. We just thank you that they have taken the time to engage in your word, to speak uh, word, to hear words spoken to them by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you'll uh, then invite them to join you in returning that conversation through prayer. Today, Lord, we thank you for the book of Jude and for the wisdom that's found there. We pray this all in Jesus' name by the power of your Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Yeah, we were talking earlier, it's, it's Jude is not a book that people often go through, mm-hmm. and yet it's a very powerful book. There's a lot there. And, and, and maybe as we talk about Jude, maybe we should talk a little bit about the background of who Jude is sure. and what was going on. So there's no, there's no out and out... Like, thus saith the Lord, Jude is this person. But based on references, based on Old Testament tradition, or not Old Testament, but early church tradition, based on other readings where we find the names of these guys, the, they have surmised, uh, and biblical scholars tend to agree, that this person who wrote it, Jude, is actually the uh, half-brother of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that there's another half-brother who features prominently in the scripture, uh, and that's James. Now, this is not James, the brother of John, son of Zebedee. This is James, the son of Joseph and Mary, mm-hmm. who's Jesus' half-brother. Um, he becomes a prominent figure, James does, in the early church, probably about on the same level as Peter or Paul. Um, he's sort of in charge of the, the church there in Jerusalem. And Jude is his brother. When he introduces himself, he says that... Uh, He's a servant of Jesus Christ, or you could say a slave, is, is sort of the, what the word means, and a brother of James. So he's using, he's using his half-brother Jesus' lordship and his, uh, his full brother James's uh, influence to sort of justify his writing of this letter. Yeah, there's a couple of passages in two different Gospels, in Matthew and in Mark, that talk about four half-brothers that Jesus would have had. Mm-hmm. So James... Joseph, Simon, and Judas, mm-hmm. and uh, Judas is the the one that this letter, that we believe that this letter is written by, and that's what tradition tells us, 
And uh, some people have been confused because there are a couple of other Judases that are disciples of Jesus mm -hmm. and uh, Judas Iscariot, obviously, and then also Judas, uh, whose other name was called Thaddeus. Yeah. Um, but um, so Judas uh, addresses his letter to those who are called. He uh, began or begins his letter by talking about, I'd like to talk about the kind of the general things and the salvation that you have and that we share. Uh, but he goes, I, I really need to write about something else. Yeah. And he's concerned about some false leaders that are coming into the church. And he wants to address what's going on and, and caution them, cause, ask them to be uh, cautious and aware of those who, it, it appears that they kind of come in almost in a, a stealthy, um, underhanded way to, to get involved in the lives of the early Christians and then uh, begin to teach something different yeah. that, uh, than what our Lord Jesus Christ was teaching. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but maybe before we, and, and this book of Jude is only 25 verses long, but uh, maybe to, to help us uh, to, to get into maybe a, a step into the shoes of Judas a little bit. We can ask some, some questions today to maybe help us get in the right frame of mind. So one question is simply, how do you express your faith in Jesus Christ with your family members? Yeah, I think that that's the, where we learn the faith, frankly. I mean, we, we obviously come to church to hear God's word and to receive his gifts, but really the language of the Bible, as Martin Luther would say, has to be spoken in the tongue of the mother. You know, it's got to be, it's got to be the, the language that's spoken between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and brothers and sisters. And so whenever we think about what our true expression of the faith is, perhaps the, the most stripped down, bare bones, uh, honest to the core kind of expression of our faith is the, the conversations we have with our family members about Jesus. So we, we teach our kids about him. We talk about him. We pray. We, we uh, you know, do devotions. We practice um, his commands through love and service to our family members and, for, and um, yeah, and our friends too, which is sort of the next one. How do you express your faith in a slightly different way than you would with your family, but with your yeah. friends? Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about family. I, I guess I look at my own family and it was very easy to talk about the faith with my parents. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad was an elder at the church. My, my mother taught Sunday school at one time. Uh, it was just the expectation that we would always be in church. Uh, throughout my parents' life, they've always been in, uh, active and involved in Bible studies, so it was easy to talk to them uh, about the faith. Uh, I've got uh, a, a couple of brothers that uh, maybe weren't as active or... Um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to put the best construction on everything sure. that... that um, it, it, it wasn't always uh, a conversation that I had with my brothers sure. and um, uh, like I did with my parents. And so, and, and uh, I look at my extended family, there are some of my cousins that were very open and, and wanted to talk about uh, the Christian faith. And it's, it's interesting because I look at a number of my cousins that we often visited and did things with. And they were, many of them were from different denominations. And so we would talk about some of the differences between the de de different denominations, and, and that was an interesting. So there were, there were some cousins that were very open to talking about it. There are others that might talk about it a little bit, and there are others that really didn't talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be the same way with family members and, and, 
and then you brought up friends. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I, I found the same thing with my friends. There were yeah. some that were very open to talking about the faith, some that were, would talk about it if it was a, a very uh, specific interest to them. Mm -hmm. And then there were others that didn't really want to talk about it at all. Yeah, yeah I think that the, the social dynamic that you enter in when you're talking about friends creates a different atmosphere for how you talk. I think uh, our, uh, our sort of internal human desire to be accepted and valued and loved means we're more guarded with how we share our mm -hmm. faith and how we live it out in a circle of friends versus uh, at home like you you kind of you kind of let whatever it is you know that you actually are out when you're at home you're your real self you're a slob you're impatient you're whatever and people are kind of unconditionally accepting of just that's you know that's that's what this person is i mean you might get in the spats with your siblings or your parents or things like that but you kind of typically always come back to some form of, of stability. But with friends, you kind of find yourself like, especially early in friendships, trying to make sure you're putting your best foot forward with these mm -hmm. people. So sometimes you don't always engage in conversations that might prove uh, challenging or uncomfortable. But the, the, the reality is, though, that that's kind of the perfect environment for sharing uh, the aspect of your faith that, that are a big part of your identity as a Christian. Because uh, if, you, if you kind of paint this picture of yourself sans your, your core identity as a Christian, then they don't really know the real you. And so how can you know if they're actually your, your friend or if they're the, image, the friend of an, the image that you've cast out there um, to get along? So you want to you wanna be genuine about your faith. Absolutely. You don't want to use your friendships as an opportunity to proselytize to people and try and push them into a... Christian worldview, but you don't want. In some ways, we do, to. but <laughs> well, I but, think. But but yeah, but sometimes by doing that, you push someone away. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So that's yeah. why I kind of said push. You know, you want to. Yeah. You don't want to use your friendships for that purpose. I think having genuine friendships is the best way to share the faith with people. Absolutely. Uh, you you kind of start with the friendships, and then naturally through, uh, you know, loving and and uh, being a person of God in their midst, they kind of come around to it. Versus. Yeah saying, oh, there's a person who doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to yeah. be friends with them so yeah. that I can talk to them about Jesus. That's, that yeah. doesn't always work out quite the way that, that yeah. you would hope. <laughs> yeah. And so um, another question is how do you express your friends to acquaintances? And yeah, your faith with acquaintances. And, yeah, so. and sometimes uh, there's, I've seen and heard two approaches. One is you find out, uh, you begin a relationship with mm -hmm. them. And then as that relationship develops, uh, you share who you are. Mm -hmm. and, and as faith uh, share the faith that's a part of our lives. And uh, I've also heard people that one of the first things they do uh, when they meet someone is to let them know, I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. And they, they do that for a couple of reasons. One is they, they don't want to hide their faith, um, but they also want to let the other person know, uh, again, who they are. Mm -hmm. I, I want to tell you who I am at the core of of my being. Yeah. Uh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and um, I, I love Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And um, it's, um, and I, I probably fall into the camp where I like to develop a relationship with people mm -hmm. and then and then share um, that important faith that I have with mm -hmm. them. But uh, everybody does that a little bit differently. I think, and a big part of that is what your personality is. You know, if yes. you're a person who's very comfortable expressing outwardly all the characteristics that make you you right off the bat in a yeah. 
in, a, in any kind of a relationship, you're probably going to tend towards that latter, you know, over, you know, sharing right up front that you are a Christian. If you're kind of more of a guarded personality who likes to dip a toe into relationships and, and you know, get to know people slowly over time, then you'll probably do that a little bit later. So, yeah. 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 And so um, that, that kind of brings us to Jude. And so we want to, uh, we're going to divide it uh, into half. We're going to read chapter there's just one chapter, but verses 1 through 11. Mm -hmm. And we'll look at those verses, and then we'll look at the second half of the book of Jude um, and talk about that. But uh, uh, do you want to yeah, read, read those opening verses? First 11, yeah. So it begins uh, as normal. The introduction is, introdu is a word that introduces who the person is and what their kind of credentials are. So Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. And then there's sort of the, the, the welcome, uh, the benedictory welcome here. Um, Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about, long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God, our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later, <clears throat> but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home. These he had, has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns, have, uh, towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. With, uh, sorry, they serve in an example, as an example to those who suffer in the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he, was, uh, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So there's uh, a lot of examples that he uses, and we're going we're gonna to talk about some of them. But uh, he begins by calling himself a servant of Jesus Christ, uh, despite being a part of Jesus's family. So uh, how does Jude demonstrate his submission to his Lord Jesus? Yeah, and this is where like, you realize that the word here, the word doulos that's used uh, in the original Greek, it kind of, I mean, we take it and interpret it servant, um, but in reality, it's closer to like an indentured servant, someone who's like on the border of being an actual slave. So it means that that you are voluntarily submitting yourself and saying, like, I am not worthy of any kind of um, 
any kind of volition of my own, I submit everything over to the Lord. So he tells me uh, what to do here. So it demonstrates, especially when you look at the context of other times that the brothers of Jesus are mentioned, they're kind of haughty and arrogant and dismissive of Jesus and they try to corral him and so he doesn't get in they trouble and things. think he's a little crazy. They think he's yeah. a little crazy. And they, but they come around and mm -hmm. I think after the resurrection, uh, we don't have like the exact tale of what happens, but I think after the resurrection, they see that this man who was their half-brother who they kind of, you know. Wondered about. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of like, oh, this guy, you know, they, that he really was who he, who he claimed to be, that he really was the Messiah, the chosen yeah. one. And so from there, there's a transition in their lives and they, they come to a place where as, as servants, they take up a mantle of submission to his commands but then also take up a mantle of leadership in the, in the church, too. I think probably because of their proximity to Jesus as much as anything. Um, they, they devote themselves to what their half-brother Jesus' teachings were and what his life was all about and, and what his uh, command for the church was. And now we see they, they are taking the leadership and moving forward with it. So. Yeah. And so maybe a question for us today is, uh, how do you describe your relationship with Jesus? Mm. Uh, do you talk about submitting uh, to his will? Do you talk about being a slave to Jesus? Uh, does that ever enter into the picture? Yeah, um, typically that's not a popular way of talking about our relationship in sort of the modern world, world. our I mean, world today. Yeah. We don't like to think about that idea of submission. It's sort of a negative connotation to it. We'd like to think more in terms of kind of that brother relationship with Jesus or sort of this like savior and saved kind of, you know, like a, a damsel in distress who needs a hero kind of thing. We, we like those sort of models. We don't necessarily always tend towards the, I am voluntarily issuing myself as an indentured slave to Jesus and his will. That doesn't fly too well in kind of the Western way of thinking. And so um, we don't usually go yeah. there, but we really should. And, you know, all throughout Scripture, there's all kinds of relational words that people use to talk about their relationship with Christ. Uh, uh, we, we call him our Lord. And, you know, a good question to ask ourselves is, what does that mean when yeah. we call someone our Lord? Uh, we talk about, you mentioned, we talk about him as our Savior. Uh, we talk about as a brother or as a friend. Jesus uses those words with his disciples as well. Um, um, here at King of Kings, we talk about Jesus as our king. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, we don't uh, have those kingly examples uh, as, as readily as uh, uh, people in the Bible times. But, uh, you know, what does that mean if Jesus is your king? It means his word is, is your command. Like you do what he says or else he pays the consequences. Yeah. And so. Yeah. That, that lordship thing it implies a relationship of uneven bearing. We're mm -hmm. not equals. We don't get to discuss with him. We don't get to um, offer up suggestions about the way he might do things. It's like, no, this is your Lord who's commanded you to love. Which, is, is, your... which is interesting yeah. because sometimes we, we call God our Lord in prayer uh -huh. and then we tell him what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> Dear Lord, make yeah. sure that I get this thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there, there are other words in scriptures like uh, uh, we're talked about as stewards of God's gifts. Uh, we're, talk, we're talked about as ambassadors that represent him to this world. Mm -hmm. um, those are all valid images and um, uh, relationship roles that we play as the people of God. <clears throat> so, so Jude goes on to talk uh, to those who are called mm -hmm. and 
there are other places throughout Scripture that um, that the apostles talk about um, people that are called. We look in the different letters, and they're often uh, the people that are part of the church yeah. uh, are often referred to as those who are called. So, how does this remind us that our um, salvation <clears throat> is not something of ourselves? Yeah. So this idea of being called out—it's uh, like when you're playing, uh, you know. <clears throat> yard games after school as a kid and and someone calls your name to join them on their side for the baseball game or the kickball game or the dodgeball game or whatever and when you're called then you're given a purpose you get to join the team you're on uh you don't decide to be on what team you're on you're either on this team or that team and uh it's based on the person who picks i pick you i call you by name you're on my team and that's really what this means is uh when it comes to salvation we haven't like we haven't like stepped on one side or the other to be on a team. We were all standing there going, "I hope I'm not picked last." And then Jesus said, "You, you're on my team," and called you by name. And uh, that's how that's how we can think about ourselves when it comes to salvation. That uh, that Jesus has gone out of his way and personally chosen you to join his team, to be on his side. Yeah, I, it made me think of the Luther's expl explanation of the third article of the Apostles' Creed when he said, uh, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, uh, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, um, uh, even as he's called, gathered, enlightened, and sanctified the whole Christian church on earth. And so the Holy Spirit works through God's word to call us to faith, um, to bring us to faith so that we live in that relationship with him. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, so Jude, as he's, he's talking and greeting, uh, he kind of gives a, a threefold uh, benediction, you called it, a prayer. Um, and so what are the three uh, blessings that he bestows on his hearers uh, as he shares this letter with them? Yeah, we got mercy, which is God's divine forbearance to withhold his, uh, his right judgment from us sinners. So we need that. Peace, meaning that uh, we're at war, even if we don't acknowledge it, we're at war in our spirit. And for most of us, we're engaged in also hardship in our physical life, too. So we need the peace of God. And then mm -hmm. love. So you usually hear, uh, you know, grace, mercy, and peace put together. But this time mm -hmm. he steps out of that sort of model and says love. Because for, for Jude, as we also saw for... Uh, John in Second and Third John in the last letters. That's a very key phrase uh, for people writing to the early church: is continued uh, encouragement to to love. And we remember that that love is the agape style love that God uh, gives to us, that unconditional and self-sacrificial love. So it's not just like fond feelings of warmth about somebody else. It's like it's like this sort of call out of the heart of love for another to join as that servant um, that we already talked about mm -hmm. uh, because of who called you. So it kind of ties all of these things together. Yeah, And that, that's one of the fascinating things about God is he, he chooses to love us whether we're loving or not. Mm. And, um, and that's the kind of love he, he brings into our life. And, and uh, it's also the kind of love that he works in and through us so that we begin to love others in that same way. Mm -hmm. And Jude goes on then um, after he gives his, uh, after he says who he is, after he gives this introduction, um, and then he's, he gets down to the body of the letter. He starts with dear friends, and he said, although I wanted to write to you about your salvation that we share, uh, I need to write 
to you about something else. I need to, to talk about how we need to contend for the faith. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think, um, why do you think he made this um, uh, notion, this, this request uh, that they needed to talk about contending for the faith? Yeah, I think a lot of times Christians sort of get mixed up as pacifists, right? There's this sort of idea that, that Christians are get-along to go-along kind of people. And honestly, when it comes to certain things like, uh, you know, traditions or, or secular things, we, we should be people who seek peace where peace is to be found. But we also remember, though, that, that at the core of, of who we are is a truth. It's not, it's not even, you'll, you'll hear sometimes people say that at the core of, of who we are is a relationship. Now, the relationship is very important. But the relationship is only important because it's based, it's based on a foundational universal truth. And that truth is that, that God is for you and has sent his son to die for you. So we are based uh, on a truth. And so we, we can't allow uh, going along to get along to chip away at that core truth or we lose every bit of what our identity is. And then that, that relationship that which is so important that we have with Jesus, if the, if the truth erodes be below that relationship, that relationship becomes very flimsy and we'll, we'll fall away from it. We need that, that concrete underlying truth to, to stand in his, his, the truth is his word. Uh, and so we, we, we contend for this faith because we know that if we, if we bend on it, if we sway on it, if we allow it to be eroded, um, then, then we're, we're in trouble because we have nothing to stand on at all as Christians. This is what we stand on is this, this truth. Uh, and so we contend for it, not because we're seeking to be uh, aggressive or confrontational. As a matter of fact, Christians are often seen as non-confrontational. We don't seek out, um, to, we don't seek out opportunities to try to cause problems or, or make social um, you know, eruptions of, of emotion. We try to be peaceful. We try to conduct ourselves well. But in matters of truth, we contend and we, we I think we carry a big stick. We bring uh, a, an assertive kind of uh, a fight, you could even say, to, to matters of truth to say no. The truth that you're trying to put forward, the little t truth that you're trying to put forward is true. It, it, rubs in contrast to what the capital T truth is of God's word. And so I have to contend for this. I have to say that's not, that is not true. Yeah. The thing you're putting forward as a truth is not true because it's against what God's truth is. Yeah. I think of the scripture passage where, um, uh, that says that we speak the truth in love. In love. So we're, we're doing both at the same time. We're always speaking the truth. We always want to present the truth, and yet we all, always want to do that in the context. We do it because we love people, mm -hmm. um, and we do it because God first loved us. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, and so those, those constantly go together. Um, and, but you're right. It, it, sometimes it's easy to, uh, because we don't want to ruffle feathers, we, we don't speak the truth. Yeah. And, and yet the loving thing is to share what God's Word, the truth that God's Word reveals. Yeah. And... Um, so, uh, how do we do that? We're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit. Um, uh, in fact, you know, we should ask the question: What does it mean for us today to contend for the faith? I think that in the 
kind of postmodern uh, Western culture where there's a lot of uh, like relativism in terms of what truth is, that everyone has their own truth, uh, that, that a true universal uh, morality doesn't exist, but that everyone chooses their own morality based on how it affects others. Um, I think we're in perhaps one of the, the most interesting times where, uh, so, so there used to be this sort of idea that, that people could have their own truth insofar as their truth didn't run up against like the king's truth. Because if you were in violation of the king's truth, guess what? There's a sharp axe ready for your neck, right? So, so you, you kind of can only get so far with that. But we live in this, this world where the most important thing is this open marketplace of ideas. And so it's never become more um, important for Christians to, to know what the truth is and to contend for it. Because there is just a, a mist of little tiny little t truths out there everywhere and everywhere. And people... Uh, are just swallowing them up wholesale, and they don't know what the actual capital T truth of the Word of God is because no one, f- too few Christians are truly standing on that foundation of capital T truth and saying, no, I'll go this far but no further. This is the truth, and so I'm going to contend for it. So we contend for it by saying things like the world may say that X, Y, or Z is morally appropriate, that we should be tolerant of various yeah, my, my truth may be, be, I don't believe in God. Exactly, yeah. But, but oh, you know, and that's the way someone would live their life. So you have to be kind of, uh, you have to be careful not to just be like, well, they can do what they want to do over there as long as it doesn't interfere with me because that's not how Jesus operates, right? right. Jesus doesn't just allow people to, like, go destroy themselves without trying to warn them about what's laying ahead for them. The loving thing to do then is to tell the truth. Talk about truth and love. It goes the other way too. We speak the truth in love, certainly, because we want to make sure that we love our neighbor. But the reason why we speak the truth in the beginning is because we love them and we don't want them to go off and live a life that's destructive destructive, for them or their own purposes. Yeah. Yeah. And their own eternity. I mean, that's the struggle. Yeah. So, so let's talk about some of the central teachings in, that we have in the, in the Christian faith, uh, things such as salvation by grace through mm-hmm. faith in Jesus Christ. Um, uh, would you say that that is uh, a central teaching in our church? Yes, definitely. I would say it's <laughs> probably the central teaching. Okay. Right? It's, it's at the core of, of who, who we are as, uh, as Lutherans especially, but I would say even as, as true Christians, biblical Christians. If you, if you have to put your... Uh, your life and your eternal destiny on one central teaching of the Bible, that's a good one to do. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's, let's break that down a little bit. Um, uh, so if, if we're saved by grace, yeah. what does grace mean? So grace is uh, God's, un, God, God's love for us, which is undeserved and unmerited. His, uh, his divine forbearance, his withholding of his judgment, and his um, giving us a future and a hope. Through his son Jesus. Okay. So the the way I teach this to to confirmation kids is a little anagram that helps them remember. Uh, grace G R A C E is God's riches at Christ's expense. So we talk about how we receive all of the amazing treasures and blessings and and uh, life and hope and, and love of God, and we have not done anything to merit that. We have not paid any cost to deserve that. Every cost, every expense, every justification for receiving God's stuff comes from outside of us. Okay. Uh, the Latin phrase there is extra nos, outside okay. of us, from, from beyond our ability to influence it whatsoever. 
The only thing outside of us that can merit anything like that is Jesus and his sacrifice and, and uh, what he paid through his life, death, and resurrection. Okay, and, and, we, we, and that's a gift. So that's a gift that God gives to us, mm -hmm. and we receive it by faith. Um, I always like the illustration of that faith is like a hand, and there's, there's nothing in the hand, but when God comes to us, he gives us a gift. Mm -hmm. and we can, we can set that gift to the side, or we can open it up and see what God has for us. Mm -hmm. And God wants, to, wants us to recognize that uh, the gift that he has for us is life with him that comes through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, again, this is, I would agree, this is the central teaching of, yeah. uh, of the Christian faith that we have. And I think one of the things we always got to remember is that when we talk about faith, when we talk about belief, um, I think sometimes we ascribe too active uh, a role in what faith and belief are. Really what faith and belief are is just a fancy way of saying trust. And we think about trust, we go back to when we were little kids and how we jumped into the swimming pool and our moms or dads caught us. That's the kind mm -hmm. of trust, right? That we say, like, the world is a scary place. Eternity is a scary thing. Our, our eternal destinies uh, and our souls are, are precariously held in this, in this universe, and we just say, I'm all in, go. Yep. That's the kind of trust that, that is faith. That's what, when Jesus says, um, you know, your faith has made you well, or when he says, oh, ye of little faith, that's what he's looking at. He's saying, do you trust what I'm saying? Do you trust what I'm telling you? Are you all in on this thing, or are you not? And... Um, that's, that's kind of what I think we need to remember when we talk about faith. It's about that trust, just placing that childlike trust in, in Jesus for what he has done, yeah. what he's merited for us. Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see, mm -hmm. as the Bible describes that. And uh, so what are, what are some positions of churches today that kind of miss the mark um, as they talk about the central teaching of the Christian faith. Yeah, I think that we have things like works righteousness, right? That's one where um, we kind of say that uh, God has given us a bunch of commands. What are they for? Well, you know, we like to try to, everything else we get in this world, every other good thing we have to work for. So obviously we have to work for our salvation. Mm -hmm. So I'll go serve my neighbor because it'll give me some favor in God's eyes. Yeah. Earn me some points. Earn me some yeah. brownie points in God's in God's eternal tally board that He's got. Or God will on. see how good I am, and and uh, He'll give me His favor because of these good things. So I do. yeah, so ch some churches have unfortunately. I mean, this is nothing new. It's been happening all along. Uh, have started to allow that kind of thing to creep in. Um, you also see things like the prosperity gospel. Um, it's not a gospel at all. What it does is essentially it lies to people about the reward they'll receive for faithfulness to God. That'll be here on earth. That'll be in here on earth instead of there in eternity. Um, you, also see, <laughs> you also see a return of some really interesting ancient uh, heresies that are starting to creep back in. You start to see things like um, struggles with, with Jesus's uh, Humanity. Humanity or divinity. You start yeah. to, see, and that's very, you know, very much that's a, You start to see things like the diminishment of the importance of the physical nature of our faith uh, to kind of go to like more of a Gnostic sort of a thought that the only thing that really counts is the spiritual kind of divine things, but the, the stuff of the world is kind of worthless or purposeless and we should deny ourselves um, those things. Uh, you start to see some of those things start to creep in. I think another thing is, is 
um, is we're going to talk about it, antinomianism, too. Okay. And we'll talk about what the antinomian, mm -hmm. anti means against. against. Nomianism is the word for law. Mm -hmm. law. Mm -hmm. So somebody that's against the law that so they can act in the freedom that they think they can act in yeah. and everything's okay yeah. uh, without having God judge them or mm -hmm. someone else judge them. Yeah. So we can get into that stuff in, in a few minutes, like you said, but I see that one starting to creep into the church too, where people don't take, don't take seriously God's command because they say, oh, I'm, I'm forgiven. I've got God's grace. I can, I can do pretty much whatever I want to in life. I know God's going to forgive me. And, and there's there, and, and people like, like ministers in different churches, pastors are starting to preach this as sound teaching that like, it's okay to live life the way you want to and do whatever you want to because God's got you. You know, God is your, is your, your savior. And that's, that's almost close to the real message. The real message is no matter what you have done, God never lets you go. That doesn't give you a free license to just do be, how, live, live debaucherously. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's the length that some, yeah. some churches have stretched to is to say, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can never offend God. So in the Lutheran church, we, we talk about the fact that God kind of holds us in tension mm -hmm. and he speaks both the law and the gospel and both the law and the gospel apply to us. Yeah. And so when God speaks the law, it shows us that we're sinful and that we need to confess our sin and receive the forgiveness that is ours through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and that's what the gospel is. The gospel is that Christ has died for us. God does love us. He gives us his grace. He washes our sins away. He makes us his own. And um, our life is constantly hearing both. And it holds us in, in that tension where we hear both the law and the gospel. And um, we need daily to confess our sins and daily to be reminded uh, who we are as forgiven children of God. Yep. Uh, you had brought up earlier about moral relativism. Yep. And why do you think that's so prevalent today? It's really just a part of our, our secular culture. Um, sort of as a re so so you think today we're living in a postmodern world essentially what that means is in in the modern world which we're no longer living in the modern world it's kind of interesting mm -hmm. to think about and in the, the modern understanding sort of philosophically speaking things can be proven like this is a table i can measure it i can uh i can weigh it i know that it's there because i can touch it see it smell it and, and therefore it's a table and it's used for that purpose so it's good Someone in the postmodern worldview would come in and say, and this is sort of a frivolous way of putting it, but what makes that a table? That could be a piece I, of artwork. Yeah. I, Why, how dare you I, put a cup on top of it, you yeah. know? Yeah. I see it as artwork, and yeah. so that's what I'm going to call it. Exactly, and, yeah. And they turn something that's very common and understandable into, uh, in a sense, uh, their, their own definition of things, yeah, exactly. uh, which so, can be very confusing. So you see this starting to happen, like things that used to be time-honored, just absolutes, like um, it's, not, it's not good to um, divorce people. You know, divorce is a, is a moral, morally objectionable thing, but it's a reality that sometimes happens. Now people will say, you know, oh, it was actually really good that I got this divorce. I really needed to get out of that. It's a yeah. toxic relationship. You know, it's like, yeah, sometimes there are circumstances where life would be better, but it's never pleasing to God, right? It's never, it's never a, a morally good thing to be. It's not his will. Yeah, it's not his will. Yeah. Uh, you see things like the, about sexuality and gender things. You see like, well, for, for me, the healthiest thing for me to do is to acknowledge my 
my own truth that I was lying to myself by saying I was a man when I'm actually a woman or I was lying to myself and saying that I was attracted to women when I actually am attracted to men. And so it's like that this sort of moral relativism is just a part of our culture and 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 what it essentially does is it applauds people for proclaiming their own truth even if that own truth is absolutely abhorrent like even if it's morally bankrupt it's it's withheld in equal honor to other time-honored truths that have been part of human society and and god's law since the very beginning and so it's like really difficult to say a spade is a spade today because someone will say that spade kind of looks like a club to me. You know, I, I think that might be a club in disguise. And my truth is that that's actually a club, not a spade. And it's like, that's a spade. Yeah. Right. But yeah. you can't say it or else you're a bigot. You're intolerant. Yeah. And that's the struggle that we face today yeah. in the Christian church. And, and then there is no truth. Yeah. Uh, if, if everything is uh, true to everyone in a different way, there's uh, a truth is something that's common to everyone. Yeah. And uh, so it can be very confusing. Uh, one of the interesting things, we're going to get back into the letter of Jude here. One of the interesting things is he talks about the fall of the angels. And uh, there's a couple of references, uh, one in Isaiah and one in Revelation, uh, that talks about the, the punishment that God had for uh, the devil and his angels when they rebelled against God. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe we'll take a moment to read those. The sure. first, first one is from Isaiah 14. Yeah, I got that one. Verses 12 through, five, or 12 through 15. Okay, so well, I had it and I turned the page too far. Okay, here we go. Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Okay, and there's uh, another passage from Revelation. Revelation 12, verses 7 to 12. Um, and this is what John says in the book of Revelation. He said, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. When I heard a loud voice, or then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now, uh, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For our accuser, uh, for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. And actually, I'm, there, there's actually another passage that talks about the eternal destiny of Satan mm -hmm. uh, from Revelation 20, verse 10. Okay. And it says this, it says, uh, and this is uh, uh, the second to the last, or third to the last chapter in Scripture. 
and it talks about kind of the end of the devil and it says the devil uh, who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that that is his eternal destiny uh, as he will be punished for all eternity uh, as he's separated from God in that burning lake of, of, of sulfur. And um, um, so what happens to people then who follow Satan or walk away from God? And, and there may be some people that think, well, wait a second, I don't necessarily follow God, but I don't necessarily follow Satan. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, if we come back to the truth of scripture, God tells us how many options are there. Yeah, there's only sheep, sheep and goats, that's yeah. all there is. It's uh, depart from me, I never knew you, or well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the only two options. Okay. It's, that's tough. So you're either with God or you're away from God. Yep. And this is, this is one of those things we've been talking about. That's a tough truth. And it's not a popular one. It's not one that we can, uh, we can um, easily go out into the public square and start talking about. But yet, when push comes to shove, are we going to stand for truth and say that this is what Jesus says is going to happen to all people who ever lived? Either, you're either on on the goat side or the sheep side. So we hope to be on the sheep side and we hear the voice of our shepherd calling and go to him. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so uh, why is it a blessing to know that God does not let sin go unpunished? He, he doesn't just dismiss sin. Um, and um, I think that the, the verse that's in my head is, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Right? Okay. That, uh, he, he calls us in this life not to take vengeance, not to try to find a, a truly just response to every injustice against us. Because in doing so, we heap coals on the people's heads by forgiving them, right? And what that essentially says is you're creating a burden of a necessity for forgiveness against the people who have <coughs> offended you greatly. They need to make it right with you or else they're going to face judgment, right? And that's the same for us. Every time we offend a brother or sister of ours, every time we sin against them, we owe them uh, we owe them not just an apology, but we, we need to be forgiven by them and by God so that we are in, in a place where, uh, where we are forgiven. We are, we are not in rebellion against God. We are not on his bad side. We are rather um, forgiven by Christ and his, his mercy for us. So it's good that we, we see sin punished because there are times where we have not received justice today, here and now, for the injustices against us. There are people in this world who have been horribly abused by people who never had to pay a, an ounce of, um, you know, an ounce of retribution for that offense that they committed against people. But what does God say? He says, he says vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. So he says, he's the one who gets to pay it out. And that gives us peace knowing that we can allow those who persecute us today to get away with it because they're not going to get away with it ultimately. Uh, they're not going to get away with anything because nobody yeah. gets away with anything. Yeah. My thought was that God doesn't want to let sin go unpunished because um, he wants us to be holy. Yeah. And so in the same way that he created us holy, that was God's design and plan from the mm. beginning that we would be with him uh, in a holy state. Um, he wants to confront us in our sin uh, but at the same time, we also know that he gives us the way of salvation through his son. Yeah. And 
And so out of love, he, he warns us, he calls us, and desires that we come back into that holy relationship that he first created human beings to be in. And, um, and, and so he warns us when we misstep. He warns other people when they go down the wrong path. Um, uh, I think another passage I think of is that God desires uh, all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And God desires that for all people. Okay. Yeah. Um, so as Jude goes on in, in verse 8 here, he talks about uh, four specific sins of different false teachers uh, that were troubling the church at the time. And so let's take a moment to look at those maybe a little bit more closely. Okay. Uh, so in, in verse 8, he talks about, first of all, he talks about the dreamers. Mm -hmm. um, why are they false teachers? They are polluting their own bodies. Okay. Um, what that means precisely, we don't have an amazing amount of context, but we do see that they're probably doing some kind of thing that's related to sexual immorality and justifying it based on uh, God's grace and mercy to forgive them. Okay. Rather than facing, you know, paying the piper for their for their sinfulness. Yeah, I had divided those two dreamers from those who pollute their bodies. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I was thinking when I was thinking of dreamers or those who who really don't live in reality. Mm -hmm. um, they just kind of uh, we had kind of talked before. They kind of make up their own truth in their mind, yep. and this is how I'm going to live. And um, and uh, so people that teach that are false teachers. Um, uh, those who pollute their bodies, um, um, a very specific type of uh, activity. Um, uh, we can pollute our bodies in, in many different ways. Uh, we can pollute our minds by telling ourselves lies. We can pollute our bodies by doing things that are hurtful to ourselves or others, uh, mm -hmm. that are immoral. Um, um, uh, uh, a third example are those that reject authority. Mm -hmm. and what kind of trouble does that cause? Well, it, so all authority comes from God. So if you're, if you're antagonistic towards authority in general, then you are antagonistic towards God because he's okay. ultimately authority. Now, that's not to say there are authorities which, in this life which we shouldn't uh, resist if, they're, if they are doing things which are against God's will. But generally, God's established authorities in this world for us to listen to and obey for the sake of order and uh, so that... We'll, we will get along and, and not be totally at each other's throats. So if authority helps bring order mm -hmm. and goodness into society, what is the lack of order Chaos. bring? Chaos yeah. and uh, confusion. Mm -hmm. and, and again, that's where, where people get hurt. And um, there's a, another group of false teachers that he talks about. He talks about uh, those who slander the celestial beings. Mm -hmm. And um, how would false teachers... I, th I think this kind of is like people that are sort of swearing by people in, that are mentioned okay. in the Bible. Um, so to, to kind of justify their own misdeeds or their own sins, they're saying, you know, I swear by such and such and such and such. That's yeah. about what I can surmise from that, I think. Okay. I, I was thinking of um, sometimes there are, so there are times where God sends his messengers, and mm. th those are called... Angels, Anglos, yeah. uh, his messengers are angels, and there are times where God sends his angels to speak a message, mm -hmm. uh, whether it was to Mary or Joseph and, yeah. and, um, and, and others. And there are times where, again, where people say that those, 
um, messages aren't true yeah. um, and they speak against uh, the messengers of God uh, to distort God's truth. Yeah. Um, and it brings again confusion and misunderstanding uh, in the lives of people. Um, he goes on to give another illustration about people that, uh, some of people that brought trouble on God's people, and that's found in verse 11. Uh, mm -hmm. He talks about uh, those who follow the way of Cain. Mm -hmm. And what do we know about Cain? Kill his brother, was uh, marked by God and sent out into the world to be basically a pariah for the rest of his life. Okay, uh, he, he gives another example for Balaam. Uh, Balaam was in the Old Testament. So Balaam was actually a prophet for the king of Moab. Um, and when the people of Israel were getting ready to go into the Holy Land, um, he was tasked with, with proclaiming a curse over the people of Israel. Um, but uh, It's an rather, interesting story. Yes, that, <laughs> indeed. But yeah. rather than doing that, God forced him to bless the people of Israel. Yeah. Um, there's a story, too, where he's going on the road to go curse the Israelites. And in the middle of the road, an angel comes and stands in the middle of the road, ready to basically to slay Balaam, if you want to uh -huh. put it that way. And his donkey stops and won't go any further. And Balaam beats his donkey into submission and tries to get him to go. And, and Because Balaam doesn't see the angel, but the yeah, donkey does. Exactly. And the yeah. donkey finally just says, I'm not going any further <laughs> to, to Balaam and talks. And, yeah. uh, and Balaam's eyes are open and he sees the angel and, oh, okay. So that, those are the two things. So Balaam's error there, I guess you could say, was that it, it's sort of along the lines of what, uh, what men sought for evil, God saw for good. So his error was he wanted to go uh, and proclaim a curse, but God flipped the script on him. And caused him to give a blessing to his people. Yeah. Um, Jude gives another example, a uh, man by the name of Korah. Uh -huh. uh, his story is found in Numbers 16. And... What do we know about Korah? He's kind of a garden variety rebel guy. Um, Numbers is really interested, they're beginning to be more and more interested in sort of the political situation in ancient Israel. Um, and where the leaders that are faithful to God want to do one thing, he wants to do another. So. Okay, and that, that's an interesting story too. So he, he wants to kind of depose mm -hmm. Moses and Aaron and, and, and Moses says, okay, we're going we're gonna to have a test. Um, you and your people are going to be on one side. Aaron and myself are going to be on the other, and we're going to let God choose his true servant. And uh, so God <laughs> opened up the earth, literally. Swallow it says the, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up Korah yeah. and, uh, and those who were uh, with him. And uh, um, so those were, some of again, some of the false teachers that were... Um, that Jude was talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, he goes on in verses 12 through 25 uh, uh, to continue to talk about some false teachers. And, and uh, I'll go ahead and read that section, uh, the second half of the book of Jude, beginning with verse 12. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualms, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted dead twice. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. 
and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow their natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourself up in the most holy faith and pray in the, most, in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. And so he, he begins this last half of the book of Jude again talking about false teachers. And he gives, a, again, a number of examples like um, clouds without rain. So what does he mean by talking about a false teacher in that way? Well, they're empty. They have no purpose. They're just there to annoy you and take your sunshine away. <laughs> okay. And in an area that needed rain yeah. to live. Um, it's like a mocking thing. Yeah, like, look like, at those fat clouds. I wish they'd drop some rain on us. So and they, they just blow away. Yeah. Uh, another example is trees without fruit. Same sort of thing. If you're starving yeah. to death, there's a fruit tree over there, but it's not season. Doesn't yes. do you any good. Yeah. Is that a what? He talks about waves that foam. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, they're full of air. Froth. And, Frothy and bubbly. Yeah. 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 And uh, they make a mess. They stir up moral filth and, yeah. and, uh, uh, and help no one. And then he talks about wandering stars. You uh, can't navigate by them. Okay. So all of these things are, are things which... On, if they're used appropriately, have a use, right? Clouds bring rain, trees bring fruit, uh, you know, waves carry ships across the ocean, uh, and stars are navigation tools, and, and uh, see, you can tell the seasons by them. But it, he gives the example of where each of these things, which are normally dependable, are actually just pointless and useless. Okay, and, and we can identify false teachers in connection with all of these that, um, um, that um, promise good things but give us nothing, that promise us fruit but really there's nothing there, mm -hmm. uh, waves that just stir up trouble, um, and, uh, and, and wandering stars that just go off into the darkness that, that don't lead us to Christ. Um, so those are, those are some false teachers that Jude had in his day and, and we see in our day as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we go on in, in uh, verses 14 and 15. He talks about uh, punishment for those uh, who lie and who abuse authority. And, um, and in verses 14 and 15, um, why does he bring up uh, the fact that uh, um, what is God going to do to these men? Yeah, I, this this Enoch's prophecy here is is interesting. You notice that uh, how many times does he say um, 
unholy, unholy, yeah. <laughs> or ungodly, ungodly. It's uh, over and over and over again. So essentially, he points out that uh, all of these, all of these unholy people will be judged, um, convicted, and uh, inevitably they'll be uh, destroyed, removed from the equation. Um, so they will no longer be allowed to perpetuate their ungodliness. And then Jude goes on in verse 16 to talk about grumblers and fault finders. Mm -hmm. uh, they follow their own evil desires. And um, uh, again, they, they pervert God's word. They keep God's grace from being heard and received. Um, and it, it, it causes trouble within the community and the people of God. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it does two things too. It distracts from the truth when you're grumbling and fault finding. You're creating false narratives to kind of try and pin people uh, to to uh, kind of things that aren't necessarily true. And it also creates a, an air of discord and unhappiness and uh, bickering. And that that's very contagious in the church. So it's very dangerous um, to allow those kinds of methods and, and ways of doing things, grumbling, fault-finding, seeking after your own desires in the church, it's very deadly. Yeah. It needs to be uprooted. Um, I'm going to look at verse 18. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it says that in the last days there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. And uh, so why does, why does Jude give us this warning? And he's been talking about these false teachers. Uh, he wants us to be... Uh, uh, aware of them, mm -hmm. and 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 so he he gives us this warning. Uh, for what purpose? What what do warnings do? Well, so we talked about how faith is simply trust in in God and His plan. Uh, sort of like that child jumping into the pool. The scoffers are the exact opposite. They're the ones standing on the edge of the pool and saying, "You're not going to catch me. I'm going to drown in the water, so I'm not going to jump. I'm not going to trust in you to do anything, and neither should anyone else trust." Uh, they create this sort of seed of, of distrust and, and uh, unfaithfulness because they lack the ability to trust. They're trying to bring others down, to, down with them. So. Okay. So how can we as people of God uh, build others up in their faith? Yeah, I think we can, um, we can see that <clears throat> we have... Uh, a lot of ways of doing that for ourselves and a lot of ways of inviting others to, to join in uh, with building themselves up in the faith. I think what it, what it really amounts to is it's, a, it's the discipleship process, right? That we are built up on our faith, not in a grand overnight gesture of miraculous power, but rather through repetition and through practice, through devotions, through reading the word, praying, being in God's house, uh, receiving his gifts. Um, hearing his word preached and proclaimed and his truth and his purity. I think that's what you what you see. Yeah. And so Jude also has in his closing uh, uh, a word to encourage those who might be struggling in their faith in verses 22 and 23. Mm -hmm. um, he says, um, be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Hmm. So um, there, sometimes we don't realize it, but there's people all around us whose faith may, may be weak. Mm -hmm. And 
And he, here he's encouraging people to do whatever they can um, to, for people that have doubts. Let's, let's talk about your faith and the promise that God gives us in yeah. his word. Um, for those that might be on the edge of destruction, um, he invites us to call them back mm -hmm. and to share the hope that we have uh, that comes in Jesus Christ and to show people mercy mixed with fear, uh, that reverence to God. And you see, again, this sort of idea of faithfulness and endurance, uh, that you, these things are not things that happen overnight. You don't, you don't bring someone with doubts back to the faith by just sharing one nice Bible passage with them. You have to walk alongside them. If you have someone who has fears, those fears are only overcome through repetition of, of trust and, and overcoming those fears. And so uh, it's all a, a, an expression of ongoing faithfulness and endurance in God's Word. Yeah. So it kind of brings us back to the, the whole purpose of the letter. Mm -hmm. Judas is talking about how do we contend for the faith. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many things. There's so much practical advice that he gives. Uh, warnings for false teachers, uh, encouragement for those who are weak, um, and uh, reminds us of the opportunities that we have as people of God to live out the faith. If you, if you compare contending with the faith with spiritual warfare and you take into account this idea of, of endurance and faithfulness, you can almost see it's, it's, if it's a war, it's a war of attrition. It's an ongoing slog of a war where you're constantly realizing that it's it's battling for the faith over and over and over again without making any potential ground or anything. You're just standing. God, the Holy Spirit is the one who, t who makes the ground. Um, we don't do so. We just remain faithful and endure in the face of these challenges. Yeah, we kind of hold the ground and let him yeah, advance, advance, yeah. Uh, advance his army in, mm -hmm. in uh, uh, the time and way that he chooses to do that. That's right. And, um, and so this, uh, again, is a reminder of our life here on earth as we fight the fight, fight the good fight, as we contend for the faith, um, as we share our faith and speak the truth in love mm -hmm. um, and grow in relationships with our um, brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, reach out to those around us. So it's kind of what sharing the heart of the King is all about yeah. as we talk about it here at King of Kings. You're right. And, um, and so this, this is the book of Jude. Yes, it is. And uh, so he has much to say. It's, it's very practical. Um, and, uh, and he speaks in that first century um, uh, talk that is very earthy and real. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, um, he, also, he also kind of gets into some uh, end times language, too, which I think is yes. interesting. Because especially right before the lead up into Revelation, where the whole thing is that kind of apocalyptic language. So yeah. it's fun. So... So that, that brings us to the end of the book of Jude. Mm -hmm. um, we do have a couple of announcements to share with you. Uh, first of all, the, there's a women's retreat this Saturday mm -hmm. uh, that begins at 9 o'clock. Uh, just a reminder uh, for the women that are listening. Um, we also have a musical celebration that's coming up on May 7th. And, um, and then we're going to be taking a break as well. Yeah, we are. I think we're going to let this be the last one for a little while. We've got some things coming up in May that, that are going to keep us away from being able to join you guys on Thursdays. Plus, we could probably just use a little break. Maybe you could, too, to catch up on some older episodes. Uh, so we're going to pick back up again in June and be on the lookout in the meantime for what category we'll 
lead in with and uh, we look forward to being back with you then in the summertime. Yeah, and we'll, I'll ask you to keep Pastor Scott and his family in your prayers as Ashley is uh, mm -hmm. uh, getting ready to uh, deliver uh, their second child, mm -hmm. uh, baby pitch and a little girl that will be coming. And so we um, keep you and your family in our prayers and anxiously uh, look forward to uh, uh, her being brought into life and her being baptized as a child of God yeah. as well. Looking forward to that. Yeah. So. So, so we want to thank you for being with us and I'll close in a prayer and sure. uh, we'll bring it to an end. If you'll bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you have brought us to faith, that you have called us into faith and claimed us as your own. Uh, we thank you for the warnings that you give us uh, because of the dangers that are all around us. You ask us to be aware of those dangers as well as to warn others of the dangers that are around them. We ask, Lord, that you give us the strength that we need to contend for the faith. Uh, we ask that you keep our faith strong, uh, that you help us to be light in this dark world. We ask that you help us to forgive those around us and to pray for those uh, 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 who don't know you, who don't love you, who are those who mistreat uh, one another. And we ask, uh, Lord, that you may finally overcome all evil with your good, uh, as you bring this world uh, to your ultimate destination. And so we thank you for your goodness and love. Uh, we ask that you be with us this day. Guide our thoughts, our words, our actions, and all that we say and do so that we might join you in your work and share your love with those around us. So bless us towards that end, and we commend ourselves to you with thankfulness and praise. We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad that you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can catch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Thursday mornings, and we'll post the podcast on Fridays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.